Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. Maybe you've had this experience. You hear a song, and something about it just kind of stops you in your tracks, and you need to listen again more closely immediately. This happened to me a couple months ago. I was listening to a new release from an indie folk group I'd recently been introduced to when I was struck, moved to silence in mind and body. I stopped what I was doing, cleared my mind as best I could, started the song over again, closed my eyes, sat still, and listened. You've been gone for only hours in a casket made of wood. That's how the song began, with a death. I heard it, and I was gently but swiftly lifted from the present moment and transported backwards in time. When my grandfather passed away, I was 21 years old. I had been alive on this earth for over two decades when my grandfather died, and it was the first time that I had lost someone I was close to. My most vivid memories of my grandfather are from the last few years of his life, years in which his suffering and dependence on others were heightened. And when I heard a flawless and pure feminine voice sing with longing and sincerity, you've been gone for only hours in a casket made of wood, it evoked memories of my grandfather. Death is the primordial fact of life. It comes for us all. I realize that. I accept that. But acknowledging death as a fact of life and accepting it doesn't necessarily make it any easier to endure, and it doesn't necessarily make it make any more sense to those who go on living. It seems easier sometimes for the dying to accept death than for the living to accept loss. Death is a fact of life, and grief is a fact of death. And in any case, in any argument, in any situation where anything needs to be sorted out and processed, the facts must be considered. My guests this episode are Caitlin and Elizabeth. They are two-thirds of Sister Sinjin, a folk trio from Indiana, three moms with 12 kids between them. They started making music together a few years ago, and part of their journey as a band involves helping each other sort out the facts of life in their own beautiful way. Hi, I'm Caitlin Ferry. I'm Elizabeth Duffy. And together with Elise Barrett, we are Sister Sinjin, a folk trio based in Indianapolis, Indiana. This is from our 2018 album, Daughter of Jerusalem, and the song is titled Goodbye. Thank you. 
On one hand, lyrics that seem kind of more like open-ended metaphors, those are interesting, and, and you can, as a listener, run with them in any in any which way. Um, but when lyrics are so specific like this, for me, the mystery is in wanting, wanting to know the story. And if I never can, that's okay. But just on that level of, as a listener, being able to connect with you, the artist, there's so much in this that I'm that I'm really interested in. And Caitlin 
you were the principal songwriter on this one. Yeah, I wrote this song a couple of years ago about my friend's death. Um, and I wrote the first three stanzas immediately. The day she died, I wrote it. Um, originally, this was a song that I didn't think I would ever play for anybody. It was just me. It was just for me, my own personal grief. And then when I started working with Elise and Elizabeth, we started talking about making an album and we started just throwing songs together in a file. And this was one that I actually didn't put in that file. <laughs> I, I just put in a, in a different file of songs that I've written, you know, just ideas that I've had and songs that I've written that I didn't necessarily plan on recording, but that I wanted to share with Elise and Elizabeth. And once they heard it, they thought this would be perfect for an album because you know, everyone experiences grief and everyone has had someone in their life who they've lost. And, and so I kind of started thinking about how this could work as, as a group song. And I still wasn't, I still wasn't sold on, on recording it. Um, but it wasn't, it did make it into the file of possibilities for this album. And when our producer, Evan Ford, um, we were talking through the songs that were definites and songs that were maybes when we first met to for a week of recording. And he was like, well, we have this and this and this and, and goodbye. And I was like, wait, that's in the maybe pile. It's not in the definite pile. And he's like, no, this song has to go on this album. He's, I mean, he said the demo made him weep. He had actually just lost um, a family member and had a very similar experience that I describe in the in the song where he didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And it was, so for him, it, it was his story also. And it really kind of changed my perspective on the song. Um, and I realized that, you know, our stories aren't usually as isolated and, and private as we think they are. Um, the human experience is actually, we have a lot of common experiences and, and death unfortunately is one of them. And so it changed my perspective on on what this song could be. And it, yes, it is about my grief and about my friend, but um, the fact that he could hear this and heard his own story um, with his with his own process of grief was is kind of amazing to me. But at the same time, when I when I was able to step back and when we started recording it, and I could hear it kind of more objectively instead of just as kind of a, a prayer that I wrote, I really saw the beauty. And then once we got the, when he sent back the first uh, edit after we recorded it, I was weeping. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it had gone so far beyond what I had written. You know, I, I wrote a song for my friend out of my own grief, but then it became so much bigger than me. And I mean, yeah, it, it really blew me away how once we added that B section and the, the voices and the strings and the way he kind of put that all together, um, it, it actually allowed me to process my grief in a, in a new way because of these other voices and the other people who had added to this song. The production alone um, paints, a, in my mind, it paints a very kind of clear scene of what's happening now. Maybe it's not necessarily what you intended or what Evan intended in the production, but just the layout of it, how it starts with you, and it is incredibly specific. 
And that is what drew me in, I think, um, initially, is the very first line, you've been gone for only hours in a casket made of wood. You know, it does feel, like you said, like a conversation that you're singing to this person who has just passed. And you're singing it as though they are still alive and right there yeah, in the room with you. And then when that all ends um, and, and you get to, you know, what you call the, the B section, uh, when the rest of the people come in, it's almost like this is the community gathered at the wake. Yeah. But then when those other voices fade out and it's stripped back to just like the beating, almost like a, almost like a slowly fading heartbeat is, is what it sounds like in the background. And then it's just your voice as pure as can be singing very sweetly and very longingly. How long must we live in the midst of death? How long are you saying how long till this earth comes to life again? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, it's almost like everybody else has cleared the room and it's just you standing there, you know, with, with the, with the casket, with the body kind of singing it. And that's like, so this is all kind of what comes to my mind. Um, when I hear it and I I mean, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful song. It's, it's, it's a sad song in the best possible, the most human, you know, sense of the word. Well, like, like she mentioned, um, you know, we've all been touched by our own losses in different ways. Um, death of a spouse, miscarriage, um, you know, grief is, you know, it's just a part of life. And especially as, as we get older and we've mothered and our parents get older and it's, it becomes more common, like you said, as you, as you age, um, death becomes a more present reality this is not going to stop happening, you know, like this is not it. And, and it's a, you know, throughout this particular album, it's, um, it's a little bit present in each song, you know, each, each one is, we're all journeying towards this inevitable end to life on earth. And so, you know, I think that that refrain, you know, how long must we live in this, in the midst of death, you know, with, losing loved ones and um and the awareness of our own inevitable demise you know that that <clears throat> is is something everyone's going to have to reckon with that this life is is going to come to its close um so the song resonated with our own stories very clearly um you know i think elise and i were each bringing our own stories to it and hearing the words but also you know interpreting them with our own lives and yeah, I mean, we knew it was it was a good fit for us. So, you know, the the line in the first stanza, um, when no one else could save you, I thought maybe I still could. Only let me try. We just need more time. Uh, where did where did this come from? This friend, um, she died of cancer, and she had been fighting it for so long. Actually, she had, she first had cancer in her twenties, um, very young and she went into remission and, you know, everyone celebrated with her and she was healthy for about seven years. And in the meantime, had two children, they're my children's ages. And, um, then it came back. And so she actually, um, this, the second round, she fought it for about seven years and, um, she fought so hard. She tried all the things, you know, to be there for her children. 
and her husband and her friends and, um, you know, it, it didn't work. And, you know, all, all of, all of the medicine, all of the alternative treatments, everything, um, failed her basically. And, um, I think, you know, that line comes out of my own, just, I know, I mean, I still, it just still seems impossible that we couldn't fix it. You know, it just feels like I, I, maybe it's cause I, I feel like I need to be able to control things and, um, there's just a lot of fear that comes out of this inability to control or to fix or to save. Um, and that was really my, my first thought when I found out that she died is just like, I mean, surely somebody can help. And like, you know, I, I know that I can't, I'm not a doctor. I don't have the ability to, but I, I have the desire to save. And it, it kind of feels like just out of sheer, desire to keep someone alive that you should be able to um, yeah yeah and you can't and so that yeah that that line was really my first thought um when when she died it's just like i mean somebody needs to be able to save her <laughs> she's she's done everything that she should do and it, somebody should be able to save her i i lay myself across your memory I, that's i really like how you you chose memory there because you know, normally, and I think we see it in movies sometimes, especially if a parent is called in to, you know, identify the the body of a of a child. Maybe it's um, they want to just kind of like hug them, you know, one last time and lay across it. So it's interesting that you used memory and not body. Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> that the original lyric was body, and when you know, I'm in front of a microphone recording this. And I was like, that doesn't feel like what I want to say. I mean, like it was, you know, originally when I wrote it, it was kind of evoking the image of people in the Bible being raised back to life. Um, and what prophet was it who laid his body across the, the child and raised her from the dead? <laughs> there's a, there's a, I should know this Bible story before I had this conversation. Um, the, the prophet was, God told the prophet to lay his whole body across and lay his arms across the arms and the legs across the legs and his face across his face. It was kind of evoking that kind of bringing back to life in my head. But um, when we were, you know, I'm in front of the microphone and I sang it and I was like, it doesn't feel right. And so we were actually brainstorming um, words that would work in that, in its place. And our producer, Evan, actually suggested memory because, you know, you don't want to believe that they're gone. Yeah. But you're, you're looking at, at this, this body and it, they're, they're gone. It's not, it's just a memory of who they were. They're not, they're not really there anymore. And you know that, you know, you, you cannot um, even imagine that 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 they're still there because the body, it doesn't, it looks so foreign to who they were. Yeah. That's kind of funny that it, it came about out of almost necessity, but the change I think is brilliant because the fact that you say your memory, it's, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're saying to this body, look at me. Do you remember me? I'm here. Wake up. You know, mm -hmm. that's, it kind of has that desperate, but beautiful feel to it. Yeah. we, uh, when once he said that and we sang it, we're like, yes, that mm -hmm. is. I mean, mm -hmm. it did that for for all of us. I think where it describes something that's kind of indescribable. Yeah, 
So um, your your lips are stiff against my own. It's unsettling how quickly a body becomes cold. That line for me was was as striking the first time I listened to it was as striking as the opening line. Yeah, that um, like you, my first experience with death was with my grandfather when I was a teenager, and I just remember my mom asking me if I wanted to to touch him and then it was okay if I wanted to touch his hands or his face. And, um, it was really hard to do, to feel that without the warmth, but obviously that was a couple of days later at his funeral. Um, so that's just always been a thing that stuck out to me about death is, is the coldness yeah. of, of, of a body. And, um, I was actually not with my friend, um, when she died or even, even shortly after. So this, this line wasn't, is, is not autobiographical. Um, you know, as we move on to the third verse, we will kind of get into this, but you know, I didn't get to say goodbye to her. Um, is kind of the, the theme of the song. Um, she, she's, you know, fought for so long to stay alive. And then when, when she was dying, she didn't tell anybody. Um, I mean, she told, she told a very few people, um, but, you know, all of her Facebook updates were still very positive and, you know, we're taking a break from treatment and we'll get back to it in a few weeks. But um, was it for the benefit of everyone else, do you think, or was it? I think partially, uh, I mean, I, it's one of those things I can't ask her because she's gone. So I don't know. I think part of it was, you know, she was the one who was dying and she has to deal with her death in her own way. I mean, dying is your last act of living and, um, you still, you still make choices about how to do that. And, um, so whether it was just for her, you know, facing death, she could, she couldn't do it publicly. She only did it in private with her, her spouse and very closest friends. And, um, that's, that's one possibility. I think, I think also, um, probably in her case and, and I've, this was, you know, our producer Evan said was in his case is that they do, they try and protect other people from death. You know, um, they try and protect their loved ones from, from death, but it, in the end it doesn't work because death still comes and you can't protect somebody from it. Um, you, de- you definitely can't protect someone from your own death. Um, so, so yeah, in the, in the third verse, that is what I'm, alluding to is, is that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And, you know, I even, I was angry, um, at death, but also a little bit at, at her for not saying goodbye. And, you know, on one hand, that seems very unfair of me. I'm not the one who had to die. Um, but you know, when I say maybe it's easier for you, but for me, it's harder when you lie, when you lie about everything's fine. And, you know, <laughs> we're just, we're going to continue treatment in a little while. And, and you don't tell people that, no, this is the end. I, I, I still have faith and I still have hope. Um, but these, these are the, my last days on earth. Um, I think as, as someone who is left living, it's, um, it's hard when you don't get a chance to say goodbye. And, and so that was, 
that third verse, you know, I, I worked through kind of my disbelief and um, my kind of sadness in the first couple verses. And then like, the anger comes. I mean, it is a stage of grief and they all kind of poured out together in this one yeah, song. And that's, that's what it feel. It feels like all the stages kind of all wrapped up. Yeah. And it's not linear, you know, the stages of grief are not linear. They, they come at different times and sometimes all at once, like, like they did for me in this, this song. So that's one of the reasons it was hard for me to share this song. Cause I'm like, am I allowed to be angry at someone who's died? You know, am I allowed to, to, to still have human emo- emotions towards somebody who's no longer here? And I think, you know, once I shared that song with Elizabeth and Elise and they, they were both like, yes, those are perfectly reasonable emotions and universal emotions that everyone feels. And um, so I think this song, I gave myself permission to to express those those feelings. And I think in a way probably gives other people, I mean, Evan, that's what our producer said, you know, it gave him permission to to let, let himself be like, yes, I I am angry. I'm angry that death has stolen this person from me and I'm angry that I didn't get the chance to say goodbye. And, um, at the same time, you know, once we get to the, the B section of the song or the end, we know that we're angry at death. You know, we're, we're angry that death has stolen from us. And, you know, when we, when I wrote the, the second section, I didn't go to, I didn't go all the way to resurrection. I didn't say, but it's going to be fine <laughs> because it doesn't feel fine right now. Right. And, you know, we have plenty of examples for that. I think in scripture, in the Psalms, there's plenty of examples of times where it's, it just says how long and it doesn't give us an answer. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make it all better. It doesn't try and, and fix it because we know that it's not fixed right now. We have, we have the hope of resurrection, but we don't have, we don't fully get to live into the resurrection right now. Yeah, that whole last section, it it feels at once like the most uh, hopeful of sadnesses. Yeah. And also the most sad hopefulness. Yeah. <laughs> and I I absolutely get that that emotion, the heartbreak of not being able to say goodbye. But here here's what's interesting to me about my experience with uh, my grandfather. He died. He died at at home. Uh, surrounded by all his kids, most of his grandkids, his wife. And, you know, within the couple days leading up to his passing, I I got a lot of kind of one-on-one time with him. And at this point, he was so kind of, he was at, he was out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of kept, you know, in a room full of people, I would go up and kind of just whisper in his ear over and over again, you know, I I love you and I thank you. You know, that was my way of saying goodbye. And I just, I kept saying it over and over again. You know, an hour later, after I said it a number of times, I'd go back up and and say it some more. And and it was one of those things where, like, I, I did get to say goodbye, and I kept saying goodbye. Yeah. And I never felt like it was enough yeah it, it's a weird thing to to want to be able to to get the opportunity to say goodbye you know to, to think of the perfect last thing you could say to somebody and then to get the chance to say it to them 
you know, three dozen times and it still doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. No. And I, you know, in other, in other experiences I've had with death, I, I have had a similar, a similar experience. It, it never feels like you get to say goodbye. I mean, it, the goodbye seems impossible. Right. And so saying goodbye. Yeah. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's even a possibility. <laughs> um, so as many times as you try, it, it doesn't seem, it never feels right. It never feels complete. Well, I think anytime there's separation from a loved one and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be death, you know, it can be, um, you know, knowing that um, you can never be with someone that you care deeply about or, um, you know, someone is going to take on a less, involved status in your life, you know, like from a daily involvement to a, you know, a negative involvement or, or no involvement, um, can, it feels like loss and there's, there's death and, and there's all these little mini partings that we have in our lives as well. Um, we seek closure and, um, often we don't get it, you know, and, um, and I think that, that, you know, speaks to the compromised state that we live in, you know, um, that there's no perfect ending, you know, there, there's no, there's no perfection, you know, at this point, um, of, um, you know, life that there's, we struggle with that, I think. Across the record as a whole, you know, there's, there's a really good variety, which obviously is a, is a blending of, all of your sensibilities, but it's really cool to see how, how the songs sound different depending on which of you is leading kind of musically and vocally. I guess with this song in particular, how closely did you work with, with Evan, with your producer and kind of lay out specifically what instruments were where, because it, it opens with this very, really pretty piano. That's, that's kind of just off in the distance, like it's a memory approaching and then it just becomes its own thing from there. Tell me a little bit about the thought process behind, you know, being as particular, working together with the instruments and the vocals mm-hmm. um, as you were, Caitlin, with the lyrics. I think um, Evan definitely contributed a lot to this song. He, um, perhaps more than, than others on the album, I think he, he had, he brought a lot of vision to it. And a part of that, too, is... I gave him permission to do that because because it was so personal of a song for me, I needed someone else to take over the production aspect of it um, and do what was best for the song because it was, you know, it was one of those that was too close. Mm-hmm. So uh, once we got on to what he was doing, though, you know, I, I think especially when when we were recording strings, you know, he's like, can you play this? You know, like, can you, you know, and it, it's like I you know there's a there's a cello line in there and it's kind of challenging to play and you know the first two times I I played it um I really had no idea where that was going or um how it fit with the song you know I was like this is this is interesting you know (laughs) and um um once we heard it in context uh oh he had something in mind, you know, and and it took some time for us to understand exactly, you know, what he was doing. We knew it was going to be a build, you know, a build up there at the end. But 
we weren't sure how far we were going. I yeah. Think. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a beautiful buildup. And, um, are, are you, when you talk about the line that was challenging to play, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but you know, there's a line when you sing, you know, how long, and then the cello kind of echoes that melody. Right. Right. It's such a beautiful moment. And I don't know what it means, but like when just listening to it, it feels like that, it feels like you could derive meaning from what the cello is doing. Definitely. You know, and, and yeah, there's a, there's a slide on the cello, you know, it, it, it slides down the fingerboard um, and, you know, that needed to be really smooth and, and, you know, it just needed to fall, you know, it needed to, you know, anytime you're not looking at music and trying to remember a part, you know, that's, that's hard. Um, but like I said, you know, when, once we heard it in context, um, it became very clear, you know, like what, what this is saying and um, what it needed to say. And we actually ended up re-recording that part. <laughs> <laughs> once we knew it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, when, when I heard the, when he sent back the first um, just like rough cut of the song and I heard it all together and in context, it was when the cello that that cello line comes in that I just, I lost it. I was, I mean, it, for me, it was almost like it was weeping for me. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was carrying all that grief and, and speaking in a language that I don't even have to express grief, you know, like it was, it was such a, a painful and beautiful moment um, for me to hear that. And yeah, I mean, it, it definitely spoke to me and I even, I heard her do it into a microphone and I, I kind of understood what what was happening when we were building stuff, but then still, like getting it all back in context and hearing that just broke me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like the you, your voice in it, your vocals, what you're singing, like that's the head, and the cello is the heart. You know, yeah. it ha- it has this kind of this ebb and flow, this rise and fall to it. Um, there, there's a spot at the right towards the end before everything drops out. I can't tell if it was on on a a drum or Elizabeth if it was like a a real deep pluck on the cello. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that moment where there's like a boom. Yeah. What instrument was that? I believe that was actually a chest that held blankets. Yeah. <laughs> really? In, in the cabin. Yeah, we used a lot of alternative percussion <laughs> on this album. Mm-hmm. Um cuz we don't have a drum set, a you know, a drum kit of any kind. So any any of the percussion was um, kind of improvised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, we, he took some, some samples of just hitting like that, a deep thud on the side of a, a chest. And then I think he dropped it an octave. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. I kind of digitally altered that, that sound. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it, it was really cool. Cause that, yeah, that obviously, we only had the raw sounds when we, when we were recording. And so once he sent that back to us too, I was just like, Whoa, like, where did that even come from? It's like, it is, it's like a, a, a deep heartbeat that it's been altered. It's been digitally altered. Um, and, but it does evoke a heartbeat that is, that is fading out and stop. Well, then and it's kind of on a sub, um, sub aura level, you know, it's not, um, 
like like a heartbeat is you know you strain for it you know you strain to hear you it feel it more yeah. than you hear it right right and then the very end um where it goes back to just my voice was actually um a mistake <laughs> it was, he evan was saying he um he was just moving stuff around trying to get all the layers together and he had just kind of shifted my vocal over a few bars and he had got the whole build and he was listening to the whole thing and you know the build goes and then it pulls back and then all of a sudden i started singing again and he had forgotten that he had slid my my vocal over to the side and he said he heard it though and, and immediately was like that has that has yeah. to be there <laughs> another thing that you can't really hear but you feel a little bit more is under that there's this kind of electronic buzz um or a deep rumble under there so yeah yeah i it it was a really it was powerful to me to listen to that um cuz like you said my voice it's it's very pure i don't have a lot of vibrato it's a simple a simple voice and um it does sound very alone but at the same time there's there's this deep rumble like it doesn't it's not the end you know it feels like there's still something that's going to happen yeah there it, it, almost like there's there's some very faint life force in the room with you yeah, yeah. so even though you know, I don't address my friend anymore. She's gone, even though those mourning with me have left the room. And that, again, that was an Evan's, that was Evan's decision. And I think was just an amazing, I mean, he just had an amazing vision for the song in general and every aspect of it works so perfectly to capture, to capture the, the feeling of the song. What a phenomenal mistake. I know. <laughs> I know. I it, it couldn't have been it, you couldn't have planned it, I don't think. Like you know, we we planned on ending with with the voices kind of together and and our plan wasn't the best plan and I'm so glad that we discovered that. <laughs> I I had one last thought that the title of the song is goodbye you titled it what you never got to say <laughs> it's true <laughs> i did did you think about that or did it just make sense as the title i i did kind of think about that i mean it was like you noticed i i'm speaking to her in the beginning of the song and it, it was my goodbye to her um even though it wasn't enough you know it is kind of the opposite of my of my song of my the thesis of my song that I that you never said goodbye but at the same time we don't have a choice we have to say goodbye and that this was my goodbye for now Thank you. 
hopes are stiff against my own. It's unsettling how quickly a body becomes cold. Can you feel my breath? I'll share what I have left. You told me just last Tuesday you're feeling better all the time. Maybe it's easier. Said goodbye. You never said goodbye. You never said If you enjoyed my conversation with Sister Sinjin and you'd like to check out more of their music, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Bandcamp, all those sites. And you can always go straight to their own website, which is sistersinjin.com. I've put links in the show notes on songandstorypodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash songandstory. Monthly patrons at various levels of giving receive access to bonus content and other cool stuff. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, as well as Song and Story Podcast on social media. And you can learn more, listen, and subscribe today at songandstorypodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, share the love and share the links. 
Thank you for listening. Because you still are, here's a little bonus clip. We did not know each other well. Um, in fact, um, Elise and I went to high school together, but we were a couple years apart in school. Um, we reconnected about two, three years ago. Um, I was familiar with her music. She knew from high school that I had played in it in the orchestra and play cello. Um, and we had talked about songwriting before, um, just she and I, but it just never really took off at that point. Um, Caitlin moved here uh, two years ago um, to, um, she is a music minister at the Lutheran church where Elise attended with her family. You'll have well, to explain. I met, yeah. I met Elise yeah. while she was dressed like Professor McGonagall leading a Harry Potter themed VBS. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so as she's in her robes, I'm picking, I'm late picking up my kids and we just started talking about music and found out we were both musicians. And we met for coffee twice after that. And at our second meeting, Elise said, you know, I have this friend, Elizabeth. She likes Gregorian chant. She plays cello in a Grateful Dead cover band. I think we should be a band. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds perfect. Yeah. And, and it was so funny. At least, um, I mean, she sent me an email one night. She's like, I, I have this idea. And she'd recorded with another friend of ours that um, went to high, who was in my class in high school and who owns a recording studio. And, um, you know, she had been working with him on her prior prior productions and um, she's like what if we just put together this band and record an album for advent i know that could be totally weird and totally random and a really bad idea so just shut me down if you think that's a bad idea and i was like heck no it's a great idea you know let's do it <laughs> um and and then we um we met for coffee at elisa's house with caitlin the three of us yeah and um i think we had two meetings we met twice before we were in the studio yes and we we basically, you know, planned out our first EP and, you know, the songs that we wanted to arrange for that. Um, Caitlin had a couple originals. Um, we did some arrangements of standard Advent hymns. And um, one we wrote once we were already in production. Um, and I think the whole thing took a month. Right. Well, from when we first met to when we had an album in our hand was eight weeks. Eight weeks, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, and yeah, that album is Incarnation, and it came out in November of 2016. Right. So since then, since that was actually a successful experiment in could these strangers with 12 children between them actually make something creative that's worthwhile and worth listening to, you know, we had a good response for that. Um, we... We sold out of our um, special edition release and we we actually made all our money back. And so we're like, this seems like a sign that we should do right, this. Right. So we we actually started meeting weekly to right. write and arrange. And so this album is about two years in the process. Um, we started songwriting for this album. We didn't know it was going to be our second album, but we started songwriting in production. I we think, did. For the, for, with the first EP. And oh, okay. Yeah, but not really knowing we were coming to this point. But sure, um, sure. Yeah, we were definitely we did not want to stop writing or recording music. <laughs> and, you know, most of most of our writing and even recording is for ourselves. I mean, it's right. for, it's because we we need to do it, and we 
um, you know, for ourselves, for our children, even, I mean, our children, they're young they enough, that each other. They, yeah. <laughs> they're young enough and they think we're famous because we're on iTunes. Right. So it's, you know, we're in the sweet spot right now. Um, but they also play well together and it, 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 you know, we could be getting together and, you know, doing the Leche League or, you know, <laughs> going to the park. Yeah. Instead, <laughs> we'll we together write, and write songs. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Well, I still, I mean, I think that intro is hilarious and awesome that oh she she knows gregorian chant and she plays cello in a grateful dead cover band. yeah you know that's, that's like you know that's that, a way that's gotta be awesome it, it, it tells you nothing and everything <laughs> at the same time it's like so really we could do whatever we want right <laughs> and that's how we came into it because we right. we weren't a band we didn't have something we were aspiring to be or become we just wanted to make music and we knew we have three very diverse voices, very different styles. Mm -hmm. And um, we were okay with that. We weren't trying to force everyone into one particular mold. We just let each Mm -hmm. member kind of shine with the support of the others. And I mean, I think for me, that's been a really beautiful part of this band is that we are so different and we all bring such different things and, we don't try and fit a mold or we're not, we're not trying to make a particular kind of album or a particular kind of music. The process of this group of Sister Sinjin is that we have been able to journey with each other through things that are deeply personal. Um, and we can't really fully enter in with each other, but we do the best we can. And, and being there and being able to add all our voices and the strings that build, I think was a really beautiful picture of, how we can journey along with somebody's grief. And we all have, we all have experiences. We all have grief that allows us to have empathy and to, to be able to join in in that way. So I wrote that second part specifically because I was recording this with Sister Sinjin and even in my personal life, that's who these women are to me is those people who journey with me 